discipline and correction are biblical principles. They are God's design. If you like to call CPS on your family because they give their children a spanking, you might want to read your Bible because discipline and correction when someone is wrong, when a child is wrong, when they're not doing right, it is God's design. If you will look at Proverbs twenty-two fifteen with me, please, if you're taking notes, Proverbs 22 and 15, it says foolishness is bound up. In the heart of a child, the rod of correction will drive it far from him. And the reason I got about seven amens in a crowd this size is we have come to a generation. We live in a culture and we are part of a people who despise discipline. Uh, Many of us were raised without it or those of us that it did touch. It wasn't strong enough. And, and, And discipline is a missing ingredient because we wouldn't have the chaos that we have in our world today if we had a generation who had been disciplined correctly. We wouldn't have the mess we have today if we had a generation whose whose parents had done better. And and it's God's design to, to discipline when there is foolishness. Proverbs 13, 24, if you'll go there with me, is another scripture. He who spares his rod... I can't deal with them because I just love them so much. I don't want to punish them because I just love them so much. It breaks my heart. (laughs) He who spares his rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. Put this up in the NIV, please. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14 in the NIV. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. Some of you are new. You're trying us out. You're feeling me out right now. And I can feel you feeling me out. I'm going to say what I feel led by the Holy Ghost to say. You can scowl at me. You can stand up and start throwing shoes at me. I know you don't like it. And that's why your house is crazy. It's why your marriage is in trouble. It's why all hell's breaking loose. And it's why your society is crazy. Because you raised them without reading Proverbs. The biblical 
biblical principle of discipline is this simply. I'm going to hurt you a little bit now to keep you from hurting yourself a lot later. I'm going to hurt you a little bit for disrespecting me when you're seven years old. So that when you're 17 and you get pulled over by a police officer, you don't hurt yourself a lot because you never learned how to speak to those in authority. I'm going to hurt you a little at 13 when you come in snapping that neck with that attitude. I'm going to hurt you a little bit. So that when you're 30 and you got a good job, but you get in a high pressure situation, you won't pull out that disrespect and hurt yourself a lot by losing something because you never learned how to keep your tongue inside your teeth when the moment called for it. I'm going to hurt you a little bit. So that you don't hurt yourself a lot. God is pro discipline. However, he only ever sanctions it from authorized hands. In other words, he didn't intend for just any old person to discipline your children. I never will forget they had a paddling policy at the little Christian school I went to when I was coming up. And I gave them a few reasons. And they would always call my dad and say, he's in the office and we're going to use the paddle. And dad said, nope, I will gladly stop what I'm doing. Drive right down to you. And I'll handle it. But don't you touch him. Because my father did not want someone who didn't love me to be holding the rod. So love becomes the qualifier for the disciplinarian. Because if you don't love me enough to die for me, you're not qualified to hold the rod of my discipline. Because if you love me enough to die for me, your discipline will hurt me enough to correct me. But it won't destroy me, abuse me, and go too far. And you can't walk the line of, of discipline. Discipline should hurt, not harm. And you can't walk that line without love. And as God teaches in the scripture about how parents should discipline their children, he also takes the responsibility of bringing discipline to our lives when we get beside ourselves. <laughs> I know you don't like it. Something a lot of people confuse. They, they will look at a situation that God allowed in their life that's negative, And they'll say, that's the judgment of God. No, it's not. The judgment of God was poured out on Jesus Christ. However, you may be looking at the discipline of God. 
there is a difference between discipline and judgment. If God gave us judgment, what we deserved, we would all be dead. Because the wages of sin is death. The only judgment you can give for sin is death. It's not the judgment of God. Many times it's the discipline of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 verses 6 through 11. Hebrews chapter 12, 6 through 11. If you endure chastening, you know what chastening means? Discipline. Getting chastised. Getting a belt. Getting a rod. Getting a spanking. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. In other words, one of the guaranteed proofs of sonship One of the guaranteed proofs that you're his daughter, one of the guaranteed proofs that you are his child is when you get wrong, he chastises you, he disciplines you, he deals with you. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten, a good father anyway? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed, for a few days, chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, God, for our profit, for our benefit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It could be possible that the things you are crying about and going through are not coming from the devil and his demons. It could be possible some of the pain and the misery and the difficulty you are facing is discipline in the hand of God. It could be that you allowed your life to get off of the track that God intended for you. It could be that God let you know what you were supposed to be and how you were supposed to conduct yourself and you willfully stepped out of line and willfully chose to go another way. It could that God has let you know either through dreams or through visions or through prophetic words who you're supposed to connect with and who you're not supposed to connect with who you're supposed to leave alone and yet because of your stubbornness and your rebellion you took what God spoke to you either through a preacher through a prophet through a book through your prayer time and you cast it off and did your own thing 
It could be possible that the oppression and the depression, it could be possible that the bruising of the soul and the pain in your heart is not a result that God has abandoned you. It could be the proof that God loves you so much that he's willing to hurt you now so that you don't destroy your life in the future. Look at me like shocked children when they find out they're getting a spanking. What? Have you ever realized nobody that ever does wrong on purpose feels wrong? Living like the world. No line of delineation between you and the unbeliever. Living like you've not been called out of darkness into marvelous light. Living like you don't remember that it was the Lord that preserved you and healed you and raised you up and saved your sin-sick soul. Put you on higher ground. Lifted you out of the miry clay. And when you got better, you went off and took the energy he gave you. The strength he gave you. The breath he gave you. The light in your eye he gave you. And you went and started playing with the devil's toy. Maybe the pain is. Maybe you suffered in that relationship because your priorities are out of whack. Maybe you're so desperate for companionship, you'll do anything and you are proving it. Lost your standards, lost the knowledge of what the Word of God told you to do. God, why did they break my? I guess they did break your heart. Suffered financially. Because you don't tithe. You forgot the Lord. The scripture says, remember the Lord. You forgot the Lord. You thought that it was your strength and your ability that got you to the financial place of peace that you were at. Why am I struggling? Because you're not doing it God's way. Struggling because you wouldn't take counsel. Struggling because you wouldn't go to the word. Struggling in your mind and your heart and your emotions because things in your life are out of alignment. And when you won't listen to the prophet or the preacher, when you won't listen to the word of God, God will send one more evangelist to you. The evangelist of pain, burdens, and trouble. And they can preach better than us all. Nothing will cause you to fall on your knees and say, God, I've been wrong. Like a season of pain that brings you to a breaking point where you say, I just can't take no God knows how to bring you to your knees. God knows where the end of your stubbornness is. God knows what it takes so you don't you don't get destroyed either by the destruction all around you or the destruction waiting in the future. You're facing destruction on two levels you must see. It's either the destruction that's all around you that it is God's hand that's holding back or it's also the destruction of your future and your purpose if you continue to stay on this road. So God's in a conundrum. He's been good, but his goodness 
didn't straighten your crazy self out. He's been merciful, but his mercy didn't make a bit of difference in how you chose to live your life. He's been kind and he's been gracious. He's been tender. And none of it worked on you. So he can either let you go your own way. Or he can allow a burden, a crisis, a painful thorn, a difficulty, a mountain that won't move, a season of storm that doesn't seem like it will break in order to bring you to an awakening so that you lift from the slumber of your debauchery. Say, you know what? I really... I really do think I need to go your way. I really do think I want to I want to be what you want me to be. I really do think I want to go how you want me to go. I really do think you, you get you get humble when you get hurt bad enough. You, you, you get humble when you get broken deep enough. You you start realizing maybe maybe I've not been making the right decisions and and maybe I've not been doing the things you put me on this earth to do. And, and you start remembering that you are not your own, that you've been bought with a price, not of silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. And, and I, it's so funny, a song won't make you remember and a great message won't make you remember but oh pain in our text in Isaiah the people of God started living like they had lost their minds moral depravity and decay I'm not talking about Stumbling and falling into sin. I'm talking about wallowing like a pig in the mud. Finding ways creatively to break every commandment God gave. And then they stopped worshiping the Lord. And instead started worshiping idols, false gods, putting every other thing in front of him. So God said, I've tried everything I can try. I'm going to bring some discipline in your life. And the text I read said that he, he chose a nation, the Assyrians. And he said, you are going to be the rod of my discipline. Daddy's going to give his kid a spanking and I'm going to use the Assyrians as the rod. And he began to afflict them. He began to chastise them. He began to spank them. Not, not as a curse. Not because he was done with them. He was bringing them discipline to bring them to a place of repentance. And repentance is the hardest thing in 2023 to get people to do. To come to the end of themselves and say, I'm wrong. I'm not a victim. My life is not going wrong because everybody else pick it on me. My life is going wrong because I need to repent. I'm not living right. 
I'm not praying. I'm not seeking the Lord. I'm not honoring his house. I'm not doing what he said in his word. That's why. And to get to that awakening, to get to that awakening. And oh, there's such resistance against it because this is one thing God will not do for you. This is something you have to come to. It's a place you must arrive at internally. And a lot of times like Pharaoh, when God is sending the pain and sending the rod and sending the discipline, instead of yielding to it, we harden our hearts. That's why it's so hard to preach this. That's why I feel like I got a sledgehammer banging a piece of iron because we don't want to come to the place. We say it's... Oh no, it's, uh, oh no, it's, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. I'm the sinner. It's me. I'm the reason it's, it's not worth, it's, it's, it's me. And God sent them. He sent them discipline to bring them to the thing that he loves and the thing he cannot resist. The Bible says God cannot resist repentance. It says a broken and contrite spirit, he will never refuse. That means you could take the most vile sinner who had been sinning every day of his life as much as he possibly could, as many sins as you could commit in a a 24-hour-a-day period for the entirety of his life. But if he came to God with a broken and a contrite spirit, it does not matter what sin has been committed. There is something about brokenness. There is something about repentance. There is something about coming to God and saying, I know I'm wrong and I know you're right. I need your help and crying out to God in your pain. There is something about the cry of a child in the pain of repentance that gets the ear of God and draws his heart like a magnet. And so he wants them. He just wants them. He he just wants you. He, He just wanted them. He just wants you to take off your pride and lay down your stubbornness and get to the place where you realize at this stage of my life, at this age in my life, at this place in my life, I have gone as far as I can go without repentance. And I can keep praying about the problem or realize that I'm the problem and drag myself to the altar of the Lord and repent in his presence and ask for the time of refreshing to come. He's he's trying to move them to a place they don't want to go without pain. Without pain, I wish my children loved me enough to do what I say. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can kill me today if you want to. I'll give you everything I got till I can. I wish my kids loved me enough to do what I asked them to do. Because I wake them up every day, I bathe them, get all the dirt off of them, clean them. I'm still wiping both their high knees because neither one of them do a great job getting totally clean. While I'm wiping, they're wiggling and I get all their mess all over me. It's just, and I feed them. I make sure, I make sure there's a roof over their head. They ain't never been threatened of losing anything and never had nothing taken away from them. Got clothes on their back, shoes on their feet, good shoes too. Look nice too. Make sure they always have everything. That they, I wish they would just obey me. Yeah. Yeah. 
because I'm a good father. But they don't. I'm sure God looks at us and says over the sapphire seals of heaven, I wish my children would just obey me because I'm such a good father. But the reality is, we don't. For my children, it takes pain. For me, when I was a little boy, I had the best daddy in the world. And I always, from a good young age, had a good, sharp head on my shoulders. But it took, it took pain. Not, not to kill me. To keep me from destroying myself. Oh, I feel an urgency because somebody is on the road of destruction. And God's been sending the signals and sending the warning and even sending the pain. But you got it right. You know what you're doing, right? Said in that day. In that day of what? In that day of discipline. If you will harden not your heart. See, God loves you so much. He gives you the right to choose against him. In that day, if you will harden not your heart. If you will approach the discipline with a soft heart. God heals. God restores. God delivers. And that's what we see in the text. Repentance is powerful. It is a spiritual force. Because the chastisement of the Lord may be intense. But as soon as he sees repentance. Did you hear me? I said as soon as he sees repentance. Did you hear me? It's a key. You need a key for your life. You came to get a wisdom key out of the service. Because you need a breakthrough in your life. Here's the key. The key is repentance. When he sees repentance. Discipline ends. Restoration begins. The moment God sees repentance, discipline ends, restoration begins. The moment God sees repentance, discipline ends, restoration begins. So with everybody that's left me, both in the crowd and on the stage, for everybody that's approaching this not knowing how to feel it, over the remainder of this service, I offer you everything I can. I pray you receive it. In the text, God had used the Assyrian army to discipline and bring about repentance in Israel. But when Israel started crying out to God in repentance and crying out to God for deliverance, something astonishing happened. The Assyrians that God had used as a rod of discipline started laughing and mocking them. And it's a dangerous thing to mock a child of God while they're in distress. Because the same God who brings the discipline to his people will also turn around and be a defense for his people. 
people. And so you might have been the reason that God had to bring you some pain, but you will also, because you are his child, be the reason that God shows up as your defense. I want to tell somebody the defense is coming. And as the thing about a true father and his children, no matter what they do and no matter how bad they are, at the end of the day, they are still his child. And I want to announce to some bad children, some some sinful children, some evil children, some people that are doing what you know you're not supposed to do. God sent me here to tell you, you're still my child. God sent me here to tell you he still loves you. God sent me here to tell you the reason some of the pain is happening in your life is he is refusing to let you go. God sent me here to tell you he's not going to let you mess up your life. He's not going to let you mess up your future. He's not going to let you mess up what's coming after you because you are his child. Child. You're his you're his child. You're his child. His whoremongering child. His gay child. His abusive child. His lying child. His baby aborting child. You are his child. You can't sin your way out of it. You can't get in enough degradation to get out of it. You can't run far enough away from it. No matter what you have done, no matter who you are, no matter what political party you're affiliated with, no matter how you identify yourself, no matter what, you are his child. So in the text, the Assyrian army that God was using as a rod started noticing these people that we're fighting against. They aren't fighting anymore. They're laying in the floor. They're crying and they're weeping, praying to their God. And they started to laugh. And I heard in my ear the enemy laughing at some of you. I heard in my ear the enemy mocking some of you in the trial and the distress you're in. Some of the people at work leaning over, snickering, whispering, mocking at you. Some of the people in your social circle mocking and whispering about you, talking about what's going on in your life. And there's something about the sneering of an enemy that made God angry because they were sneering at his child. The text is almost, it's almost uh, a paradox because one moment God is mad at them and he's using discipline and in the other moment he starts fighting for them and defending them look at the text with, with me if you will Isaiah 10 12 the scripture says if you watch God it sounds so strange and if you have time to go back and read before and after this it's, it's amazing how God shifts back and forth but it says in verse 12 therefore it shall come to pass when the Lord has performed all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, that he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his haughty looks. 
For he says, by the strength of my hand, I have done it. And by my wisdom, for I am prudent. And also I have removed the boundaries of the people and robbed them of their treasures. In other words, God was using the king of the Assyrian to do this for the purpose of discipline. But the king of Assyria got high-minded and thought his success against Israel was his own accomplishment. And so all of the sudden, the scripture says, if you go down to verse 24 and 25, God says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, O my people who dwell in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrian. He shall strike you with a rod, lift up his staff against you. For yet a very little while, and the indignation will cease, as will my anger in their destruction. Verse 27, and it shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. All of the sudden God turned from discipline to defense and in order to describe how he is going to defend them, God gives them an analogy. He talks about a yoke. In antiquity, in order to control large bulls and oxen, they would place a U-shaped yoke around the neck of the bull and oxen in their youth. So they would literally grow into the thing that was afflicting them. They would grow into their yoke. They would mature their way into deeper levels of restriction and bondage. The yoke was placed by a weaker outside force in an attempt to control something they knew would get stronger. The only reason you place a yoke is you're a weaker outside force. And you know, as this bull grows, there's going to come a point I can't do nothing with it. So I'm going to put this on you while you're young so that I can control you when you grow to maturity. See, if you have a yoke in your life today, it's a sign not that you're weak. It's a sign the enemy knows how strong you are and that he wouldn't be able to do nothing with you if it wasn't for the yoke. And he places yokes young. Some of you, you had your yokes since you were little. Somebody that should have defended you, should have prayed over you, should have covered you, wasn't there! And the enemy comes when you're little. Places the yoke. Doesn't affect you so much when you're little. But as you grow. As you mature. As you finally get to the place where you really have some power and some movement. Now you start to feel the. Have you ever been restricted now? Because of something that was placed. Way back then. And it's paradoxical because it would seem that you've lived with it all your life. You ought to be used to it by now. It's not that. It's, it's as the bull ages and grows. Every level of growth makes the yoke. 
why hadn't I been able to get over this? I've been in therapy 10 years about it. Well, you kept growing. And the more you grew and advanced and developed, the, the, the tighter the oak. The oak is what allows something powerful to be led around by a little rope it could snap if it wanted to. I wonder how many people just got something on your neck that you can't get off. <laughs> I wonder how many people that, that is on you so bad when you try to lay down and go to sleep, you almost physically feel like you're choking because of the constriction of the yokes that were placed by the enemy when you were little in that. Once a bull or oxen reaches maturity, their neck doesn't grow anymore. The rest of their body will grow. That's why they feed them so, but, but, but the neck doesn't grow. So many times, most of the time, the yoke placed in their youth never has to be replaced for the rest of their life because the enemy knows one yoke will do it one yoke will do it and when you got a strong yoke it doesn't matter where the heart or the will of the bull wants to go it can always be pulled have you ever felt like in your heart and your will you were aimed somewhere and as you were walking you felt something old pulling? But on the rarest of occasions, if a bull or an oxen comes to such a bountiful field, a field decorated with a ridiculous harvest. Every now and then, they'll stay in a place of blessing so long and eat so much. Every other area grows first, but finally there's nothing else to grow except the neck. And they will literally eat blessing and increase until the neck expands to the point that the internal pressure placed on the yoke causes it to break. This is the analogy God gives them. I'm not going to send you a prophet like Moses. I'm not going to send you a deliverer like Samson. I'm not going to send you a preacher, a weeping preacher like Jeremiah. No, this time. I'm going to bless you and increase you from the inside out because I have watched how they laughed at you when you got in trouble. I watched how the enemy took joy in the fact that I was using him to discipline you. And so because I have seen your tears and I have heard the cries of your repentance, this time the methodology of the deliverance is going to be this. I'm going to grow you so much with my blessing that your neck literally begins to break 
break and explode every restriction that's been holding you down in your life. I'm going to break the yoke. Now we have, we have two problems because it's two things. In the King James, it says the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing oil. Anointing oil is a strange and mysterious force in the scripture used both in the Old Testament and in the New. Book of James in the New Testament, apostolic doctrine said, if there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. Anoint them with oil, pray the prayer of faith, and God will save them. If they've committed any sin, they'll be forgiven. That's in the oil. It's weird. Strange things. God gives us a lot of those strange, little natural, simple things that carry powerful, supernatural truth, like the power in taking communion. The bread is the body of Jesus, and the wine is the blood of Christ. The power of baptism, standing in water, going down, coming up. What is it about the elements that God uses? We don't know. It's mysterious. But when we operate in them by faith, we see supernatural, divine, explosive power. And so, in the King James, it says the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing oil. But then in the NIV, the translation is rendered, the yoke's going to be destroyed because you have grown so fat. Which one is it? It's both. God said, I'm going to pour oil on you. Oil from heaven. I'm going to pour oil in the wounds of your repentance. That's what repentance does. It wounds the flesh. It wounds our carnal nature. It wounds our pride. It wounds our dignity. It wounds our self-righteousness. It wounds our attitude. That's what repentance does. And God says, wherever there is repentance, I will pour oil in your wounds. And because of that oil, because of that anointing, you are going to grow so fat that you are going to break every restriction the enemy put on you. Every restriction in your youth. Every restriction in that relationship that went wrong. Every restriction in your health. Every restriction in your mind. You're going to, you're going to really simply, you're just going to outgrow it. You're just going to outgrow it. Not out-counsel it. Not out-medicate it. You're going to outgrow grow it. And I came to preach to somebody. I've been trying to find you all service. You've been broken hearted. You've been oppressed. You've been dealing with a yoke in your life. But the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of Jesus, the mission statement of Jesus is to find the people who are in that circumstance, even if it was their own doing. Call them to repentance and then pour the oil of increase. That's what it is. The oil of increase. That's what it is the spirit of a breaker. That's what it is. It's the oil of heaven, the supernatural glory of God, the kind of stuff that makes God, God. It's just God doing God's stuff. God said, I want to pour that in till your increase causes you to move beyond every restriction in your life. Father, I think I said what you told me to say. It is not the manipulation of man that 
brings people to repentance. It is not the subtlety of atmospheres that moves people towards your heart. Father, only you can draw us, and we are the only ones that can respond to your drawing with either repentance or hardening our heart. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, all over this room, I'll make myself a fool for you, God. But right now, in the name of Jesus, all over this room, those that feel convicted and called to repent before you, Lord, I call them to do it now. Those that realize there are things not right with you, those that realize that some of the difficulty and some of the strain, some of the chains, some of the things that they're facing are a result of the fact that they've turned away from you in some areas that they know better, they know you called them to. So whoever they are, Lord, I pray one more time you draw them. One more time you call them. One more time you reach for them. One more time. That you show them you are the way, the truth, and the life. That you show them you are the answer. And Father, for those that are repenting even now in their seat, you don't have to go anywhere to repent. You don't have to put on any airs. You don't have to perform anything. But wherever they are, you see the heart. And Lord, I call them to you now. In the midst of it all, I call them to you now. 